Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, MPs unanimously vote in favor of a fast-track bill banning conversion therapy. There are clearly people in the Conservative caucus that we need to thank. There are clearly people in the Conservative caucus who exercised a great deal of leadership on the issue, uh, and I thank them. I thank them sincerely. This is, they have done a very important thing for Canadians. This is what we can do when Parliament works together. A supply of vaccine boosters will be available if experts call for it. Our first priority is following the recommendations of uh, NACI, of the experts in terms of when they should happen, uh, what's the impact of the Omicron uh, variant on that. There is not an issue about quantity of vaccines. We have lots of vaccines for boosters in Canada. We're receiving more uh, into the new year. The opposition continues its calls for a plan to fight inflation. Our MPs in all parts of the country are hearing repeatedly about the cost of living crisis. Seniors are not able to afford their own home, families with young children, small businesses seeing their margins crushed with inflation and having a supply chain shortage. So people are worried uh, and we will continue to push the government. It's Thursday, December 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So the ban on conversion therapy has passed in the House of Commons, uh, and it was fast-tracked. It was a, a unanimous decision by the House, um, and so it was not put to a vote. There were, there were nobody, nobody voted it against it. Uh, what do you think about that outcome? I think it was a very deft piece of uh, parliamentary management by the Conservative Party, because this is an issue which has is, is caused division inside the party, and, uh, you know, now we have unanimous consent for for the passage of this bill, which clearly there was not unanimous consent within the party. So, um, you know, the leader persuaded the caucus to agree to bringing forward a motion to fast-track the bill. It meant that they avoided having to take a recorded vote. So we don't know how many Conservatives would have voted against it, if any. We do know that last time around, when the bill was going through the House, 62 Conservatives voted against it, mainly because of the, the language in the bill. I don't think it was a particularly well-crafted bill. And there were objections that parents or religious leaders couldn't even talk to somebody who was going through a, uh, a gay person who was wondering whether, you know, debating their sexual identity. That might have criminalised the parent or the, or the uh, religious leader. I think this time around the bill was clear that it would not. So that number of 62 would would, in, would inevitably have gone down, but I don't think it would have gone down to, to zero. And then it would have opened up uh, the Conservative Party to, to liberal attacks that they were were um, narrow-minded against inclusion, diversity, etc. So this is uh, this has been a good result for 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 O'Toole. It gets this issue off the table, and it makes the party look. Um, more progressive, maybe even more progressive than it actually is. Mm. And it's a, a good outcome for the people who have been advocating for this for a long time and, and um, were disappointed when the previous bill um, uh, kind of died because of the election, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I don't think even the, its harshest critics um, would argue in favor of uh, coercive 
conversion therapy. I mean, it's clear that that is uh, is beyond the pale for for most right thinking people. But um, yeah, I mean, this thing was was held up over technicalities, and you know, to some extent, the Liberals they could have passed this much earlier. The NDP had clearly indicated it would support it. They could have passed it earlier, but it was a good wedge issue for them. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's a slightly cynical approach, but that's that's politics. It was a good wedge issue going into a general election, and and now it's off the table. So, you know, good for everyone. Perhaps, I mean, the, the Liberals acted as if they were delighted that this thing had gone through. I'm sure there are some in the PMO who are not quite as delighted that they don't have this, uh, you know, bludgeon, uh, this thing that bludgeon the, Liber- the Conservatives with anymore. Right. All right, let's turn to uh, the fight against the Omicron variant. And uh, the Prime Minister said yesterday there may be more that Canada needs to do. I think the, the challenge uh, with this right now is that uh, the government and public health officials are dealing with limited information. They don't know how how much of a threat this variant is. So they, they have to, there's, a, there's a lot of guesswork going on at the moment. Um, what, do you, what do you think about the approach Canada has taken so far? And, and what happens next, do you think? Well, there is guesswork, but but I think we we do know that um, you know the the efficacy of the vaccines is not going to go down to zero. That seems to be taken as read by most of the scientists that you know the the vaccines will still have some impact, and that boosters would be a good idea. So it's I'm sort of nonplussed why we haven't gone immediately to booster shots for people over eighteen the way that the UK has. Um, I think Ontario today is going to go to booster shots for people over 50, but quite why we have referred, the government has referred this issue to its advisory board, and it would seem to me the advisory board is going to take some time. This is the, the National Advisory Committee on Immunisation, uh, and it's asked for quick guidance on whether we should revise the national standards, national attitudes and actions on the use of boosters in Canada. I mean, this uh, it seems inevitable that Nancy is going to come back and say, Yes, give people a booster as, as soon as they're over 18. I mean, at the moment, it's only for high-risk people, uh, people over 80, people in long-term care facilities. We've taken some issues, some moves to um, require anybody landing in Canada, except from, from the United States, to take a, uh, a test. We've banned flights from 10 African countries. That's clearly not going to keep Omicron out because it's already here. But it would seem to me that boosters is the inevitable next step, and quite why we're not doing it immediately, I do not know, because that is one sure way to quite literally boost the efficacy of the vaccines we have. Yeah. All right, let's turn to some economic issues, John. And, and um, uh, of course, the, the opposition has been hammering the government on inflation uh, and using using the, the term just inflation to tie it directly to the prime minister. Um, and you drew my attention to a report from the National Bank about the level of investment in Canada, uh, which is which is declining and is also turning into a net negative. Uh, that there, it seems like the the major pension funds and other big investors in in this country are are investing more money in other places than is being invested in Canada, which is a a worrying sign. So. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if the two of those things are connected, but there, there are some, there are some big economic issues uh, that that obviously warrant some attention. Right, and uh, well, they are they are connected in that ten years from now we're probably going to look back on why Canada is a a low growth, highly indebted country, and the answers will be from the legacy of of the pandemic 
and the policies that the government is, is pursuing, you know, high spending policies even after the pandemic. Um, you know, the inflation issue, the Conservatives are pointing the finger saying that, you know, the government uh, spent too much money, the Bank of Canada printed uh, too much money, there are too, too much money in the economy chasing too few goods and laying all at Justin Trudeau's door. I think, you know, there was, uh, you can say that maybe the Bank of Canada uh, should have reined in its bond buying a little bit earlier, but let's face it, if they hadn't engaged in quantitative easing at the start of the pandemic, we might have, things might have been much worse. We might have seen deflation instead of inflation. So, you know, it's, it's easy to uh, be wise after the fact, but I think, you know, the inflation argument, it's a global phenomenon. Um, there are supply chain issues, which is which is heading this, the supply of goods. The issue will come back to, the, to land on the Bank of Canada's door, but it knows how to fight inflation. And what it will inevitably do is put up interest rates probably more quickly than it would like to. Right. Um, you know, I think they're going to, they, the, the Fed chairman said yesterday we should retire the word transitory when referring to inflation. But, you know, it seems likely that sooner rather than later, inflation will become less of an issue. And the bigger issue will be that we're potentially in recession because of higher interest rates. The issue which National Bank was, was pointing out would be exacerbated by those higher interest rates. The chief economist there, uh, Stefan Marion, has done his own calculations and shown that private sector investment in Canada actually contracted for the first time on record in 2020. Now, some of that was related to the pandemic, but the five-year average is not good either. And the problem is that, um, you know, well, we're, we're, we're very dependent on, on resor- the resource economy. And after, after the price slump in the mid, middle of the last decade, there was less capital expenditure. But also there's a shift towards um, environmental, social, what they call ESG, more clean governance issues. And that is penalizing Canada. And so we're seeing less capital coming into Canada, which means that uh, there's likely to be less growth and we're likely to see even less capital coming into Canada as a result. And, and the, he points out the fact that you know Canada's pension funds are now very much diversified out of Canada because it doesn't see Canada as a good place to invest. Hmm. The way he puts it, we are, we are bleeding capital. And this is uh, what he did for the first time. was So the official statistics, Canada uh, numbers show that non-residential investment went up 1.8%. But that includes government spending on things like infrastructure. He stripped out the government spending and showed that the private sector investment actually contracted for the first time on record. And um, you know, I think this is a this is like if you're on the Starship Enterprise, the Clactons are going off. This is a red alert for, for economic growth in this country, which was already forecast to be pretty anemic. We've got to get the levels of investment up in this country. And it is not helped by the fact that, that um, in the resource industries, the government seems to be intent on strangling those industries. I mean, he, uh, he makes clear that we need to have um, champions who are, going out and telling the world that Canada is a good place to invest, that it's that its resource industry is doing is investing billions of dollars in trying to clean up its act. And when we can't even persuade our own domestic pension fund to invest at home, then we have a problem. Hmm. All right. John, great to have your insights on all of that today. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. 
As always, we're going to continue to get our advice uh, from public health care officials and just given that this is a new variant of concern, um, that advice uh, is, is being watched very closely and in real time. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin considers the federal response to Omicron. Martin writes, In many ways, the federal cabinet was backed into a damned-if-you-do-or-don't corner on fending off this latest invisible predator. To wait for all the answers would open the door to all sorts of retroactive criticism if the variant goes rampant and is worse than it initially appears. To be seen as doing something even when nothing can be done is to appear assertive in the face of helplessness. Thus has been deployed the traditional government response. Ready, fire, aim. At National News Watch, Glenn Pearson argues the fates of the pandemic and our politics are now inseparable. Pearson writes, While Omicron cases are few in Canada, we have been through this before with the original strain and Delta. On both of those occasions, our politics, economy, and social order were disrupted once again. Millions are reaching the breaking point and can easily be persuaded to push back, perhaps violently. While it's true that the portion of the population set against vaccinations is smaller in Canada than in the U.S., we learned in the last federal election that it appears to be growing. In the Toronto Star, Vardit Ravitsky says it's time to fight global vaccine inequity. Ravitsky writes, While rich countries are desperately trying to convince their privileged, hesitating citizens to get vaccinated, poor countries are grappling with a shortage of desired, life-saving vaccines. While rich countries are rolling out a third dose, citizens of poor countries are unable to get even a single one. This global inequity is ethically despicable, but also dangerous from a public health perspective. Throughout the pandemic, we repeated the mantra, nobody is safe until everyone is safe, but we did not act responsibly. The current situation must change. Fast. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the President of Ukraine. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will meet with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers and with the Inuit Taparit Kanatami. He will also attend question period, followed by the Broadband Institute's Progress Gala. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, December 2nd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.